Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Welcome to another episode of Play by Players. I am your host, Bobby Boswell. Today we are joined by a Canadian international. He has played over 280 games across MLS, the MLS playoffs, Open Cup, and the CONCACAF Champions League, and is approaching the 50-goal milestone in MLS play. He scored 52 goals with 20 assists across all competitions. He has represented the Canadian men's national team 19 times. He was the 2014 MLS Rookie of the Year. He is a two-time Open Cup champion, winning the tournament not with one, but two different teams. He has won the Supporter Shield. Please welcome to the podcast, Tesho Akindeli. Yeah, thank, that was a great intro. Uh, thanks for having me. It's funny, if you if we would have done this one month ago, you couldn't have said two-time Open Cup champion, so I'm glad we waited till now. Hey, that's what we were thinking. We knew you were going to get there. <laughs> we knew you were going to ball out and play. So, um, you know, how is everything going in Orlando? I know you guys are, uh, are gearing up for a, for a playoff push, uh, playoff run here. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, as you know, if, if your team's winning, things are going good. So, like, we just won uh, the Open Cup, obviously. We've, we've had a pretty good run of form for, like, the last month or so. So, just everything is on a high right now. The spirits are high. I feel like we're, we're in a good spot for the playoff run where we kind of control our own destiny, which is always nice. And, yeah, we're, we're confident, man, just really enjoying, enjoying it. All right. Well, well, that, that's the now. Let's talk about the past. And I, I know you said you'd uh, before we started that you'd seen uh, or, or listened to some of these. So I'm, I know you're familiar with the format. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to start back in, in Calgary where you were born. Um, you're the, the son of a Nigerian father and a Canadian mother. Uh, it's my understanding that you moved around a bunch as a child. Yeah, I moved a few times around Canada, um, Calgary, Mississauga, Winnipeg. Uh, and then, then I finally moved to Colorado, which is where I spent kind of most of my life growing up. Well, it's funny that you, you brought up, uh, I played in a, I think it was called the Robbie cup growing up, which was a big tournament in, in Canada. And we played a team from Mississauga and they were like the most intimidating guys that I've ever played with at any, against at any level. But, um, those are kind of like spread out all over the place. Do you, you know, it's a bit of a nomadic experience as a young as a young guy. Um, do you do you remember any of those moves around or, or is it all kind of just one, uh, you know, one big blur at, at such a young age? I, d- I definitely remember it. I mean, it's funny because the move that kind of was the hardest for me was moving from Winnipeg to Colorado. I like really didn't want to go. I think I was, you know, six, I, was, I was seven at the time. I was so upset. And uh, looking back, I'm so glad I left because, I mean, nothing against Winnipeg, but Colorado was a great place. You know, Winnipeg would have like 10 feet of snow at times in the winter. So, uh, you know, Colorado, I I was glad to be able to move there. Um, Yeah, so overall, it really turned out well. And then I think maybe it helped me adapt as a person to just be able to, you just kind of got to find your way to fit in in different environments with different types of people. So I think that's a skill I, I picked up by moving so much. Yeah, that, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, you know, I, I saw that you have family that's still all over Canada. I think Edmonton, Toronto, Vancouver, um, Kalo, I don't know, Kelowinia. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, it's somewhere in British Columbia. Um, do you, uh, you know, in looking at your family being all over, I'm assuming you come from a, a big family. Is that right? 
Yeah, pretty big family, I guess, on on both sides, you know, so a lot of the family in Canada, uh, there's some extended family too going on there. And then, you know, my dad's side of the family, there's still a lot of people in Nigeria. My family is really all over the world, right? Like all over Canada. I have family in Colorado. My sister lives in Amsterdam, about to move to London. I have family in Nigeria. So like kind of just covering the whole map right now. It's, It's nice. And I understand that your dad was a soccer player. At least he, he tells people that. Is that is that true? Is that where you got your love of the game? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Nigerians just have it in the blood. So as soon as I could uh, kick a ball, he he had me doing so. Like one one of my earliest memories even was we would play like balloon soccer kind of in the in the living room. So he, and he would just pop the ball up on his head and balance it and like walk over to my goal. You know, I'd be slamming into him, couldn't couldn't budge it, but. So he, he definitely got me in the game and he coached me my entire life from, you know, from the time I was 11 to 18. So I owe him just so much in terms of getting me here to, to living the dream that I, that I always wanted. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Um, you know, so you, you end up in uh, just outside of Denver in Colorado. And, you know, I, I actually saw a story where it talked about you had a, you kind of a, had an identity in Canada because you played soccer and then you, you go to Colorado and you've got to find a new team. Um, I'm imagining you were you were a baller at, at, at all levels, but um, with your dad being the coach, you know, what team did you end up with in uh, in Colorado doing club soccer? I know that the Colorado Storm North was a was a team. I feel like that's just it's hard to find teams now because uh, the Rapids and these MLS clubs, they absorb all the teams and kind of change the names. But, um, you know, tell me a little bit about playing club soccer for your, I'm assuming your dad was a coach. So you played for your dad uh, when you moved to Colorado. Yeah. So the first club I started at, like with competitive soccer was called Broomfield Blast. So it's just kind of like, it's like 30 minutes North of Denver. Uh, and my, you know, my dad was just able to like get the coaching job for the competitive team there. So that's where I went. And then we did end up switching to Storm North, which was closer to my house. And, uh, and then Storm North now kind of got absorbed by the Rapids, like you were saying, they're part of the Rapids program. Because, what you know, when I was growing up was right kind of before the academy started. It started when I was like 16, I think. So a lot of the clubs and my experience is just very different than what the kids are experiencing now with just it's kind of academy or nothing now. But for me, I was playing club soccer and we were only playing in our state. I was playing high school soccer for, you know, half the year, basically. So it's a very different experience. Yeah. And, and so you were and I, I saw that you were offered to go into the academy and that would have meant that you, you know, I'm, I'm very vocal on this podcast about I think kids should play high school soccer and college soccer. Well, that's just my opinion. But I know that they offered you, um, you know, some an entry into the academy and um, you said no, because uh, or why did you say no before I put words in your mouth? Yeah, honestly, so at that time, I think I was 16 or 17, and uh, there was kind of two reasons. One was like, you had to, back then you had to pay for everything. So it was like $5,000 a year to play in the academy, which is crazy. And I also had already basically knew where I was going to go to school. Like I was going to go to a small school in Colorado. So like, I was like, I already know what my next step is. There's no reason for me to go to the academy. And my dad was coaching my team. So it just felt like as a 16 or 17 year old, I didn't need to shake things up. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't really see any, any benefit for me doing so. And then before we, we go to college, uh, North Glen high school was your school, the Norsemen. Uh, what, what's, what's a Norseman by the way? It's like a Viking, you know? <laughs> okay. Okay. That's what I thought, but I just want to, you know, don't assume on the podcast people call you out. Um, well, what, what was it like for you, uh, you know, going to, to North Glen high school? I know, 
um, a big part of your journey is education's a, a pretty big focus, um, you know, and I know they added like a STEM program either right, right when you got there or right before you got there, um, which it kind of is a reoccurring theme when, when, we, when we get to your college. But obviously education was very important to you and is, you know, is, was, tell us what uh, North Glen was like. Yeah, I mean, so at the time when I went to North Glen, they didn't have the STEM program, which was really unfortunate for me because I was, you know, really trying to push myself kind of academically. Like I had taken a lot of high level classes. And then by my senior year, they had, they literally had no math or science classes left for me to take at the school. They just couldn't provide the resources. So it, it was, it was a big bummer at the time. Like if I would have gone now, I would have been able to take advantage of it. But another thing going on at the school was there was a lot of kids who were really just performing badly in school, you know? And I think that's kind of where I, my parents drilled so much into me, like the importance of education because I was surrounded by a lot of people who were just blowing school off. And the school even nowadays, like they're doing pretty good, but I just went back and there's still some kids really struggling to, to just put it together. So I'm trying to, trying to spread that message. Like I think getting a good education and having my parents just drill that into me is what like put me in a position to succeed. Even if I didn't play soccer, I think I would be successful because of the, uh, you know, my passion for education. So I'm hopefully trying to like send a good message back to the kids at my school about that. I was actually able to go there a few months ago when we played the Rapids, like go out to the practice and talk to the kids and, and tell them, cause like the coach was like, hey, half of our team is failing and they can't play. They can't even play high school soccer cause they're failing the classes. Uh, so I'm trying to tell them like, you know, guys, it's not cool to do that. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that uh, you got to do that. I'm, I'm sure it was a big thing for them to see someone that kind of came from where they came from and, um, that's always impactful. Not only, I always say, not only for the kids, it's impactful for you as a former player or as a as a player that was at that school as well. So mm -hmm. that's really cool. At what point? Uh, I know in here there was a point where you represented the Canadian youth national team uh, for the I think the 17s. How how did that come about? Um, you know, you move away from Canada at, at seven eight years old, and you're you're in Colorado playing you know club soccer, high school soccer, and then all of a sudden you're you're getting called into a, to a camp. Yeah. So basically I got, I, I guess played with the Rapids in one tournament. I think it was, they called it like MLS youth cup or something back then. I think it's like the GA cup now. So I guess played with the Rapids in that tournament and we played against Toronto FC just kind of by coincidence. And I played really well. And somehow the coach of Toronto FC found out I was Canadian and cause I had had no contact with anybody from the Canadian soccer for, from Canada soccer. And, uh, they found out I was Canadian. They saw I was playing really well and they called me into a camp. So that was a really cool experience for me as like a 17 year old. I got to go to Costa Rica. We, we got to go to a national team game, like watch Costa Rica play maybe Nicaragua or somebody in World Cup qualifying. So it was a really eye opening experience for me as a kid, kind of introduced me to really how like the professional side of soccer that as just only playing club, I hadn't really thought of or experienced much. And when you were when you were in Costa Rica, did you imagine you'd be playing uh, CONCACAF Champions Cups and, and World Cup qualifying in those places later on in life? No way. No way. And even like it's funny because so we were on the bus. We were going to watch the Costa Rican national team, but we were just the kids. And a lot of the people on the street were lined up to see the national team. They thought we were the national team. So they're cheering for us. And it was like, wow, look at this. You know, like we're going to the stadium. Everyone's cheering for us. And then. You know, just two weeks ago, we're, we're driving on our bus to the Orlando City Stadium and it's kind of the same thing. But now they were actually there for me, you know, like 
uh, we had all of our Orlando City fans outside the stadium, like waiting for us to come. So it's kind of like, man, I can't believe it really went full circle like that. Um, that's that's awesome. Um, you you talked about you talked about playing in the the generation next or the GA uh, type tournament. I would imagine that's probably where you are also recognized by some college coaches. I, I know that you were recruited by I think Santa Barbara. Um, you know, talk to me a little bit about what your expectations were coming out of high school where, you know, you, you're representing Canada at this point. So you're, you're looking at some international experience. Um, what were you thinking in terms of, uh, it sounds like you'd already made up your mind, but, uh, I know you were recruited. Did you at least consider going to those schools or was it just more of a, a an entertainment for, for you and your family thing? Honestly, I never really considered going anywhere. I, did, I, I was a real kind of homebody type of person. I liked Colorado. Um, and funny enough, so my dad used to work at the Coors factory, which is two blocks away from the school of mines. So when I, when I was a kid, he would take us to the summer camps over there. He'd go to work and then he'd pick us up. And the coach who was there when I was 10 years old was still the coach when I was going to college. So I had known him. His name is Frank. I had known him for my entire life. I was always into math and science. That was an engineering school. So I, ne I really never considered going anywhere else. I didn't do a tour anywhere else. I didn't seriously talk to anyone. I, was, I just kind of took the next step that felt really natural to me. And uh, you said School of Mines. It's a Colorado School of Mines. You're the ore diggers. Uh, we love mascots. You've got some pretty cool ones on here. Uh, it's in Golden, Colorado. Um, you just... If, if MLS, old MLS fans, if they say, that sounds familiar, he can't be the only one. Uh, my old DC United fans will know that uh, Craig Thompson went there. Uh, you're you're a little bit more of a household name with not only your name but your style of play. Um, I think you stood out a little more. But can you just tell people? I know you talked about it being a, a, a math and you know an engineering school, really. Um, but can you just tell people what it was like going there? It's it's not necessarily the the biggest school, but um, it's it's big for a kid coming out of high school. Yeah, uh, it was it just kind of was a continuation of my focus on education, I guess. So when picking a school, like I went there for academics more so than I did for soccer, because it's one of the top engineering schools in the country. So it's, it's really rigorous kind of academically, but luckily the, like the soccer team was really good. My first year there, I think we were ranked top three in the country. Every year I was there, we were a really competitive team. It was, it was a great experience. And like you, you talked about earlier, like you, you, you're a big advocate of kids playing college, man. I loved it. I loved playing in college. I loved going to college. And I, I see like some benefits sometimes for the kids who miss it, but you know, I, I also kind of feel bad for people sometimes because it was such a good and like important time in my life to mature as a person and a player. Yeah. And I've heard you, I've heard some stuff that you've been on and, and you're really vocal about, um, you know, transitions, right. And transitions are tough and it, it College is a great place because everyone's within your age range, right? And, and so, uh, you know, you're all having kind of the same problems and you're able to relate. Um, whereas, you know, nowadays you've got 15-year-old kids coming into a locker room with, a, you know, a 36-year-old guy on his way out. And it's a very, their journeys is very different, not relatable. Um, you know, I played with a guy that was older than another guy's parents. Um, it's just hard to relate to that stuff. So, um I do want to tell people, you know, I, I normally go through and look at, um, you know, notable people and I'm a, I'm a bit of a history. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a history buff, but I like going and looking at the history of these things. Um, you were a notable person on everything. So that's awesome. 
but for I would encourage other people to go look up the School of Mines and, and you know, go check out their notable alums. The school is so old um, and they have produced some incredible people that are, you know, running our government, running, you know, things around the world. Uh, for the Houstonians listening, um, I thought this was really cool. George Rufus Brown graduated from there. And people say, well, I don't know who that is, but if you're in Houston, we have this massive, massive convention center. It's called the George R. Brown Convention Center. And then the School of Engineering at Rice University is named after him. He graduated from Colorado School of Mines. So I always say it's really cool to go see, you know, you might have a different story for someone from that school, um, you know, and where you live, wherever you're listening to this. So that was about uh, School of Mines, back to Tesho. Um, on the soccer field, you tore it up there. And you talked about your first year. You were rookie of the year. Um, you were first or second team All-American every year that you played there. You scored an outrageous number of goals. It was 76, which is a, a record. Um, that had to really build your – I mean, from freshman year, you kind of set the tone, but it had to really build your confidence as a player having that success. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, go, like I said, when I initially went to the school, I, I loved playing soccer, obviously, but I wasn't really thinking too seriously about being a professional. Um, and then kind of midway through my freshman year, I was doing pretty good. And then there was one week we played three games in a row and I scored 10 goals in those three games. I scored like three, three and four. And uh, and then that's kind of when it all blew up for me. Like I was getting interviewed on the news, like Sports Illustrated came out to my school. And then I was thinking, man, you know what, I can really be a professional soccer player. Like that's, that's the moment in my life when I feel like it really clicked for me. And then, yeah, so my mindset kind of changed after that. And the rest of my college career, I, I was grinding a little bit differently than I had been before because I was, I kind of had that goal in mind that, okay, this is serious. I could actually be a soccer player, not just, you know, someone who enjoys college soccer and then becomes an engineer. And I would imagine that you had a lot of um, other colleges trying to come in and poach you um, after your first year. Is that, did you even consider that or was that just out of the question? Yeah, I did. Definitely. There was a lot of guys were, were hitting me up, but you need to transfer. That's the only way you can become a professional and all this. But like I said, I knew the coach, Frank, uh, he was there from, I knew him from the time I was 10 years old. I still talk to Frank every week right now. And uh, I, you know, I told him about this, I said, Frank, all these guys are telling me if I want to be a pro, I got to go. And he really, he, he's like, I can get you to be a professional. Like he, he, he had so much confidence in that confidence in that. And he put that in me and it, it came true. You know, I, I think like just his guidance as a coach, but also as like off the field as a person, I think he, he just helped me just tremendously. So I'm really glad I made that decision. And I like, I didn't really seriously consider leaving just because of him and the relationship I, I have and still have with him. Yeah. And, you know, I, I again, we, not to hype college up anymore, but it's the first time you're away from your actual parents and your actual father. And then you have usually most of these coaches are older guys. And, you know, like I still talk all the time to both my coach, head coach and the assistant coach in my life today. They're still alive and I still talk to them a lot. So, um, you know, again, it's it's the impact these people have. And it sounds like he really put some belief in you that you know, not only. Uh, not only are you going to go pro, you're going to go pro here. And, and that had to be a, a really big booster for you. For sure. And I like it, it, it means a lot when your coach believes in you and he believed me. And I mean, he would, he would chew me out too. Like he really held me to a, a high standard, you know, which I, I needed. Like some days I was like, Oh my gosh, Frank, like leave me alone. I'm, I'm, 
I already scored a goal. Why are you screaming at me? You know, but I, yeah, I needed that, you know, like to just like really stay disciplined. And he was just saying like, you're not competing with the people here. You're competing with everybody in the world right now. If you really want to be a professional. That's awesome. What, uh, there was a, I saw a little tidbit in there about one game for the Colorado Foxes PDL team. Or was that just, was that just like a one and done? Like, no, nah, this isn't for Tesho or, or what happened there? Yeah, I just played one game with them. Uh, I don't even know why. Like, it was far away from my house kind of thing. It just wasn't very convenient. So I just never ended up taking it seriously. I think I played terrible that game too. I really, I think I missed like a wide open tap in. Like I fell down and like swinging. So I was just like, you know what? This isn't for me. Nothing against the team. Like they, you know, they had some good games and good players, but it just, it never kind of worked out for me really. Yeah, I had some bad PDL experiences. So I, I get that. Um all right, well, let's talk about the combine. Um, you know, I, I, I remember this combine for a couple of reasons. Um, you, this class was not short of confidence, and I love that. Like, I love, I love the, the, the guys and the things they were saying. Um, the headliners were Christian Dean and my man, Steve Birnbaum. They created, uh, you know, a lot of buzz. But then all of a sudden, after day one, uh, this, this D2 kid, you know, from Colorado School of Mines is just, uh, he scored a goal and he's creating all this buzz. Um, talk to me a little bit about the combine and, and why you were, you know, so confident uh, and able to do so well. I know that, you know, later in the, the thing, you maybe you say, oh, I didn't play that well on the second day or later on, but um, you still exuded confidence. I felt like from the, the quotes I read and that you, you knew that you could hang and you were going to make it um, into the league. Yeah, um, I'm glad it came off that way because I don't know if I was really feeling like that at the time. So, Like even before the combine, I didn't know until maybe a month before. And then I got a call like they had released a list of the initial combine people. It's all division one players, you know, and I'm division two. So I was like, man, I might not get into the combine. And then I, I got a call. You're in the combine. So it was me and one other division two guy and a bunch of other D1 guys. And uh, luckily, like you said, I, was, I played the very first game of the combine and think fans got to think about it. Like what it's like for a player, they don't do the combine anymore, but you're a college kid, you go out, you're in a field kind of in the middle of nowhere. And the only people watching are MLS coaches and GMs. They're like right on the touchline. So it's, it's a lot of pressure for kids. So, I mean, I was, I was pretty nervous to be honest, but I did score. I played well. And uh, yeah, I just like, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in kind of like, mentality and stuff like that positive visualization so literally like the bus going there and back when I was in my hotel room like I was just like visualizing scoring goals playing well like you know doing well and and it happened I was nervous in the moment but I was like I was really trying to like hype myself up kind of behind the scenes and then do you remember um you know I, I think I saw that um and like in the history of the combine they never had so many uh teams that try to interview the same guy like most of the teams do their due diligence and um, their homework before and they have you know they kind of think oh I'm going to get this guy in this range um, do you remember doing all those interviews with all the different teams and, and if you do what what do you remember from that yeah I, it was a definitely a whirlwind like I, I know the other guys they would have like four interviews or something which was pretty it seemed pretty normal and then I had I had like nine I had so many and it's just because nobody knew who I was you know like and they were like Every, like people would be like who are you you know uh the the one interview that sticks out for me is funny is like columbus they had a like a cabana on the beach and i was like wow columbus is doing it real nice like i got like escorted back to this cabana so that that's like one that kind of stuck out but it was a real whirlwind of uh of a time because and i think it's just because no one no one knew who i was coming into the combine no one had scouted me nobody was talking about me nothing 
Well, the uh, quote, and we'll move on. The quote that I remember uh, was, it was something along the lines of, um, you know, people were talking about the D2 status and you said, look, I'm, I'm out here wearing MLS combine shirt, not school of mines. Like I'm here, like I'm here and I'm playing, I'm scoring. And that, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing. And I, and I like that, you know, for me, it's all about, uh, you know, didn't matter if you went to an ACC school or, you know, UCLA, if you could play, you could play. And that's really what, that's what the pro level is all about. It's just about finding guys, you know, if you didn't go to if you didn't go to college and you're a great player, you make it. If you went to college, you're a great player. You're still going to make it. So I think this league especially is about that because you have guys on the team, like you'll have a guy starting at number 10 on one side that is a college player. And on the other side is a multi-million dollar guy. And sometimes a college guy plays better, you know? So it's like, yep. if you can play, you can play. That's it. That's the, they, they call it the world's most democratic game for a reason. Um, it obviously paid off. Uh, you impressed not only with your play, um, but with your with your interview and uh, did you have any idea that you were going to get taken by Dallas or was that just out of the blue? Very out of the blue. Literally, I, I didn't even go to the combine or to the draft. Sorry, because I didn't think I would get drafted in, in the first two rounds. So I was like I was just watching it uh, at my house, like my college house. My parents came over, my friends were over and I had no idea. And I remember, I think Taylor Twelman or someone said, oh, yeah, this this draft, they have like 10 good players. And after that, it really falls off. And I was like, hey, screw you, man. Like, Because I didn't think I'd be drafted in the top 10. And then it was a real surprise to get uh, to get drafted by Dallas. Like, And as early as I did, I, I completely was not expecting it. Yeah, and uh, for those that don't know, he was taken sixth uh, in the first round. Um, you know, so they, you went from not even thinking, you know, maybe you're not a good player, according to Taylor Twelman. To now you are a good player, according to Taylor Twelman. <laughs> um, you were the highest drafted uh, Division II player, which is another cool title to own. Um, you know, what what are you thinking? You know, now you're looking at, okay, now I'm going to the pro level and, and I'm going to go to Dallas. Yeah, I mean, just the turnaround between getting drafted. So it's like that morning, I have no idea if I'm going to get drafted. I get drafted in the middle of the day and they say, okay, like in two days, you have to pack up and be in Dallas. So it's, it's really crazy, the turnaround. And you don't, you don't have really much time to process anything, but you know, I was just happy. I was like, man, this is really happening. Uh, and yeah, I'm a, I'm a hardworking guy. So I was like, I'm just going to go in there and work. Like that's, that's what I'm going to do is, is work, work, work. And, and then, you know, I'm, I'm uh, as a Houston player, I'm very familiar with all the Dallas teams. Um, you know, I, I, Dallas is always a, a tough team. I don't, I don't care who, who you are. They've always been a tough team to play against for a long, long time. Uh, especially while you were there. Um, what do you remember, you know, do you remember anyone helping you out early on in, in your first, you know, first year or two? Yeah, for sure. I'm like a special shout out to Blas Perez, who, I mean, who people know, like a Panamanian legend, FC Dallas legend, like just a great goal scorer. And he helped me out with so much. Um, and just one thing too, like with Blas is the guy's not fast. He's not strong. He's not like super technical, but he scores goals, you know, and it's because he's thinking at a different level than the other players. So just kind of watching the way he was thinking and maybe getting into the heads of defenders. I'm sure he bugged you. Like playing, playing. I'm sure everyone hated playing against that guy. I probably, <laughs> I probably have a scar or two up here from, he had like the pointiest elbows yeah. like in the world. Yeah. So he's one of those guys that uh, you, you hate to play against, but you love him when he's on your team. Like he was constantly like drilling stuff into me and even confidence. Like I remember one day the ball was coming across and it was an open goal. And I like controlled it and then shot it in. And he was like, 
you should have the confidence to like put that away, you know, like believe you're going to put it away. And, and just like telling, telling me like, you need to believe in yourself. <clears throat> you're a good player. And so like so many things boss did for me, it, it was a huge help. Yeah. And, and I remember, um, I don't know why, maybe we were up there for a reserve game or something and maybe we were training. And I, I just remember seeing, uh, I remember seeing the team was jogging and, uh, and he was like holding court, right. Making all the guys laugh. And then, I think some of the staff members were, you know, they were hugging him. And, and so, you know, again, he is one of those guys. And I think I was kind of like that too, where uh, you didn't like playing against him. You thought he was kind of a, 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 not a good person maybe, but it seemed like his people really liked him. And, and that kind of resonated with me and it actually changed my tune a little, how I played against him. I thought, you know, he wants to be angry. He plays angry. I try to be nice to him. Right. Just to see if that works. And it, it didn't, but um, you, you, whatever he did, uh, you know, in helping you, it really worked. And I know a lot of that was your hard work that you put in. Um, you were uh, in your first year, you won rookie of the year. You scored seven goals and had three assists. And that really kind of put you on the map for, for a couple of reasons. And um, we'll get into those. But for MLS, it put you on the map. That had to be a huge confidence boost for you having some success early on. Yeah, that was huge. And I mean, kind of going back to like the visualization stuff, like I, I had like rookie of the year, like I wanted to win rookie of the year. And I, I think I like taped it on my mirror or something like I, that was my goal from the beginning. And for the first half of the year, it seemed very far away because I wasn't even in the 18 for like the first 10 or 12 games. But I still was like shooting for that, you know, and, and to end up achieving that was was so amazing. And with so many good players, too, that were that were also coming like Steve Birnbaum, for example, was like one of the top contenders and he had an amazing season. I think they don't like giving it to defenders, but <laughs> so maybe yeah, he, with it. He, he, he was, uh, I was with him. He was mad because, um, you know, he, he didn't start the season off playing a lot and you know, that's, that's tough, right? You had a lot of games, you got a lot of burn. Um, and Steve came on later, but, um, you know, to be fair to you, I think, you know, uh, it was like eight, you got like almost 90% of the vote, which that's, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty big number. It wasn't like 56 to 40. Um, it was a, it was 80, 83 or 86%, which is, that means that everyone from fans to staff to, uh, GMs and even people like me on another team, I can't vote for my own team. I took those things seriously. I voted for the guys that I thought deserved it. And, um, you know, that, that pissed guys off in the locker room, but at the end of the day, I, I, I would take it serious and I, I hoped other guys would too. So I think that was very deserving. Um, the thing I want to talk about, which was really what created the buzz, was after a successful year, uh, U.S. national team fans got really excited. They said, oh, this we got a, we got a guy scoring goals. He's young. Um, you know, I remember this. I don't want to call it a controversy, but I remember uh, it, it was kind of a big deal when you ended up deciding to play for Canada. But it was my understanding that you actually said no to Canada first just to see if you were going to get an offer, but then there was, was there like a failure on a passport side or, or what, what ended up, what ended up went going into the decision for you to represent Canada at the senior level? Yeah, I actually, I went to a U.S. camp first is what happened. And then but I didn't play in a game so I could keep my options open. And I, just, I, I ended up going with Canada. Um, that's the team that my whole life, like I didn't become an American citizen until I was 22 or something. So my whole life, it was Canada, you know, like you said, when I was a 17 year old, I represented Canada, my family was in Canada, uh, you know, I, it felt right. And I think I made the right decision because 
I was able to play a lot of games and experience a lot of things at the national team level that I, I don't know if I would have been able to um, if I would have gone with the U.S. So I'm, I'm really happy with my decision. Like the experiences were unbelievable. And to represent like my the country that I was born in was a, just a huge honor for me. Yeah. And, and just, you know, for I've been up to Canada and played a bunch up there. Um, it's definitely a different place in terms of the environment. Um, I always you know, it was a lot of fun for us to play and then go to a, a sports bar after to eat, you know, eat a meal and your game highlights are all over the news and sports centers covering it. I just feel like it's a very different sport and coverage wise and, and importance in Canada than it is in the U.S. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how great the Canadian fans are and, and the experience of playing up there is? Yeah, I mean, the Canadian fans are amazing and they, they've been put through it, to be fair. Like for a long time, Canada was not performing at, you know, maybe the level that we should have been given like the, the amount of resources the country has and stuff. But, you know, to those fans credit, like they stuck with us through the tough times and now they're, you know, able to reap those benefits because the, the Canadian team right now is completely different than when, you know, when I was in 2015, when I first went. It, the team is completely different now. The The quality of the players is unbelievable. The depth is is on a different level. So, you know, there, there was support for us back then when we weren't even performing that well, you know. So now the support is just unbelievable. I think like you see some of these games when there's snow and it's like <laughs> negative whatever degrees and the stadium is packed out with fans, you know. So the dedication is real. And I think like they deserve the team that uh, that's being put on the field right now. Yeah, that, I said it we were all caught up in this U S versus Mexico. Who's, who's the better team in the region. And I say, uh, you know, I have a terrible joke, but it's like Canada is like, we're on top of both of you. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it's like, a real dad and, joke from you. Right yeah. There. That's a great dad joke, but it's true. Right. It's like, no, we're going to go ahead and win the group. And uh, you know, we're, we're, we're actually going to go uh, make some noise here. So it's really cool to see. And um, you know, I, I, again, we'll get into a little uh, at the end about the depth um, and, and what you're hoping for here, but Let's get back to Dallas. 2016 was a huge year for, for Dallas. Uh, you guys won the Supporter Shield. You won the Open Cup. Uh, you got eliminated in kind of a wild series with the eventual champions, I think. Uh, the Sounders, you scored. I think uh, y'all were up like 2 nothing, and then they scored one to kind of pull it, kind of put that to bed. But, um, you know, that's just a, an incredible, incredible thing in Dallas to, to win two trophies uh, for a team that, really hasn't won a whole lot um you know that had to be a special moment for you yeah it was really good I mean and obviously just like so much credit to the environment that I was in the the quality of the players that were on those teams were just amazing even even the guys who were on the bench or left out of the 18 are guys who have been 10-year MLS vets you know so the team was was very good and then the coaching staff also too like you had Oscar who who's funnily enough like my coach now but you know, he came and he maybe changed the team a little bit and, and won some trophies. Then he comes over here to Orlando with the same kind of staff that he had and wins trophies. So I think obviously like being a part of that was great. And as a player, it, it comes down to the environment you're in a lot. So I was just put into a winning environment. And I think, you know, that helped me succeed. Yeah, yeah. I looked at those rosters. There's some wild names on there. Um, guys, I hated, I mean, hated playing against, um, you know, I, I was terrified to get isolated one-on-one -on -one with, um, with Castillo. some of the guys that what, what's Fabian, Fabian Castillo yeah, was Fabian like, and, it, and then it's like and then they get rid of him and I'm like thank goodness and they bring in Barrios and I'm like oh no 
like yeah. it just never it never ended it was like oh it's just it's just you know my my worst nightmare but yeah. uh, oh Pescandito was there for a little bit I think when you were there yeah he was, um, he was you know I always say that he was the hardest player that I played against in MLS consistently because he was uh you know one on one play he's as strong as an ox and he's throwing an elbow and the next play you you get firm and he just falls over and rolls around for for a while and so um you know I, I think you you really highlighted on it with Blas and, and just the guys you had. It was a really good group of players. Um, you played over 130 games with Dallas. Um, you you end up getting traded at the end of 2018 to Orlando. Was this, uh, I know kind of at the end where your time in Dallas, you, you'd fallen out of favor a little bit or, you know, who knows what it was. We can talk about that. Um, what were you thinking? Did you ask for the move or did it kind of catch you out of the blue? Yeah, I think you're right. Like I had fallen out of favor a little bit, um, but the, the team, you know, they did offer me like a bona fide offer. They said that, you know, they were interested in keeping me, but I told them, look, I, I think it's better for me to go. And they agreed. They were like, you know what? Yeah, we'll, we'll look for, for a place to you or a place for you to go to. And, you know, they, they called me when Orlando reached out. They said, does that sound like a good spot for you? I thought it was great, you know, and the, the coach at Orlando was telling me he wants to play me a striker, which is kind of my favorite position. I had played a lot of winger in Dallas um, and she's they're saying we believe that you could be a good striker for us. So I thought it was a perfect fit. And so it was a really good like separation. I think it was time like, you know, not all good things come to an end kind of thing. I had a great time at Dallas. I thought the way I moved on, like the ownership, the coaches, GM, everybody treated me with a lot of respect. So. You know, nothing but respect for that club for sure. Would your wife say it was a good time to? <laughs> yeah, she, I mean, she might not because yeah, literally. So, you know, I got traded and I had to come to Orlando early. She's nine months pregnant. Uh, we're, we're in preseason. So her and her dad drove from Dallas to Orlando four days later, my first son is born. So she drove like cross country, had a baby four days later. She's a superhero. Uh, maybe at the time she wouldn't have said so, but you know, in hindsight, like she loves her here in Orlando as well. And, it really worked out for our family. No, I, I love that story. I had two, I, I call them preseason babies. I had two preseason babies and my wife is still to this day, not, uh, not thrilled about, about that. So, um, well, you talked about the coach. Was it, was it O'Connor? Was it James? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So James is there when you get there, um, you know, and then by the end of the year, um, it's kind of ironic, right? You're, you're back with Oscar, um, which is kind of amusing to me. Uh, only because I, you know, I, I assume uh, you like Oscar. Everyone seems to like Oscar. He's a really intriguing figure from afar. He looks like he is a fun guy to play for and that I think he's pretty talented and knows what he's doing. We talked about winning hardware at multiple places. Um, you pretty much played, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, from your youth, right? You played for your dad for most of your life. Then you play for uh, you get to know this college coach. You play for him for most of your life. And now at your professional level, you've pretty much played for the same coach for most of your life. Is, is that pretty fair assessment? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it really is. Looking back at it, uh, I never thought about it like that. And it's, it's so funny that I got reconnected with Oscar after being separated. But yeah, I have only really kind of had three coaches my entire life, for even and, and some time as a kid. And tell the listeners a little bit about, um, you know, what you like about Oscar, uh, just because Obviously, he's he likes you in terms of you've had some longevity with him and, and you've you know, he's trusted you and some big moments to go out and you've delivered as well for, for the teams when he's put you out there. 
I think, you know, the main thing with Oscar is just like his dedication to the game and to his craft. Like no, nobody outworks this guy and nobody, and his staff too. Like it's not just him, it's his, uh, his assistant coaches, his strength and conditioning coach. These guys are working. They're thinking about soccer literally 24 seven. It's, it's unbelievable. And I always like to tell one story that I think sums it up pretty well. When I was in Dallas, um, we practice in the morning, you know, 9 a.m. or whatever. And at 10 p.m., Oscar calls me, hey, can you and a couple guys come in for a meeting? So I was like, okay. We come into the facility 10 p.m. Oscar's wearing his full kit. He's wearing cleats in his office, 10 p.m., like drawing stuff on the, the whiteboard. Like, what do you guys think about this and that? And it's like, man, maybe you should go to sleep. Like, <laughs> it's 10 p.m. We have training tomorrow morning. Like, but that, that's just who he is, you know, like he's super, super dedicated to the game. And I think that like that kind of passion is just contagious. You know, you said he's the kind of guy you'd like to play for. It's true, man, because he fires you up. Like he's, he's really about it. Like he, you could tell his passion and it's, it's infectious. It's contagious. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, you know, with, with, uh, I think he's kind of really added some stability to the club. You recently uh, got, I think, your 100th MLS game with Orlando City. Congrats to that. Uh, I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. I grew up going to Tampa Bay Mutiny games. And to say that they weren't well attended would be uh, an understatement. Rest in peace to the Mutiny. Um, but when I watch these Orlando games, especially, you know, I played, I got to go down to Orlando before they got their new stadium. Um, but it seems like this new stadium, the, the games seem packed all the time. The fans seem kind of like typical crazy Florida people just over the top. Awesome. You know, to play there, terrible to be the opposing team. Um, I say it must be nice uh, to go from, you know, Frisco where it's Frisco and I can talk trash about Dallas as a former Houston player, but um, you know, I kid, but it's gotta be really great to, to experience kind of the, the new MLS um, in Orlando. Can you talk a little bit about the, their fan base and, and what it's like uh, playing games there? Yeah, I mean, the fans are amazing. You know, behind one of the goals, they have the big supporter section, the wall, and those guys are just jumping up and down, screaming nonstop. So they really are like the heartbeat of, of the, the stadium. And I think like one interesting thing going from Dallas to Orlando is in Dallas, you know, you have the Cowboys, the Rangers, the Stars, you have all different professional sports teams. And then, you know, the soccer team is up in Frisco. It's kind of outside of the city. So there's just a lot of competition for sports fans when you're in Dallas, you know, whereas in Orlando, there's two teams, there's us and the Magic. And, um, you know, I think like you, when you're driving around the city, you see a lot of Orlando City gear. You see it on people's houses, like you see the flags, you see the bumper stickers, you see people wearing the T-shirts, which is, you know, in Dallas, like you would see people wearing all kinds of jerseys. And here it's like, if you're a sports fan, you're an Orlando City fan. So it's really cool to be in that environment and I'll be like walking my kids on the path by my house and people say like, Oh, great game. Like good hustle out there. Like whatever, you know, no one's ever like rude or intrusive, but people like just give you a nod and it's, it's really cool. Well, I, I think it helps that you, uh, you just help bring the first uh, trophy to them as an MLS club. Um, and, and that you guys won the, the open cup championship. Um, you know, was it, was it sweeter the second time around? I think it was because, you know, maybe I'm just, I'm more grown up. I think I was just more aware of the moment. Like I was just able to kind of experience it more and, and really like understand like what, what was about to happen. Um, so I, I think it was sweeter the second time just because of my maturity as a, as a person, basically. Yeah. And, and then, uh, you know, 
Speaking of second time, it was the second time a team from Florida had won the Open Cup. The St. Petersburg Kickers beat the New York Greek American Atlas team back in 1989, uh, which I have to point out because we have people that are diehard U.S. US Open Cup soccer fans uh, on this podcast listening. So uh, to Pablo and those other guys that are traditionalists, um, that's awesome that you guys were able to win it a second time. But you are part of history now and that you've won it with multiple teams. So that's always really cool. Um, you know, the you know, before we go on to kind of your off the field stuff, um, you know, you've kind of developed this reputation as like a late game heroics guy. Um, you know, is that go back to your your visualization stuff or is it just, you know, you just do the most with the opportunities you're given? I think maybe a little bit of both. Like I, I try to come on and, you know, if. I have been, especially this year, like a late game sub. And I think, you know, Oscar trusts me in those moments, whether we're down a goal and we need somebody to work and, you know, keep, keep a clean sheet or whether, or sorry, whether we're down a goal and we need somebody to go get a goal or we're up a goal and we need somebody to just work and get a clean sheet. I think he trusts me in both of those situations. And I just try to get on there and, and bring energy and work, you know, like if we're losing 5-0 or winning 5-0, I'm sprinting after the center backs. I'm like doing everything I can to bring energy to the team. And luckily it's been paying off, especially these last couple of weeks where I've been able to, to get some goals. But every time I sub in, I believe like all it takes is one. That, that's the great thing about being a forward too, is you just, you just need one moment. You know, you could touch the ball one time and be the hero of the game. So it's, it's a really good bargain, bargain to be a forward compared to a defender. And, you know, I'd say uh, late game heroics are important. You know, maybe John Herdman might need a guy to, to come in and do some late game heroics. I'm a big believer in talking things into existence. Um, so I know we talked about going back to uh, talking about Canada with the World Cup coming up. Um, I know that you represented the country several times. You're you're at a position where it's just completely stacked with with guys that are, um, you know, European names now. Um, but my favorite thing that I read about you, um, was you had a quote that said, if you're not called, you're still going to be their number one fan, um, back over here. If you're not on that trip. And, um, I thought that was really cool. And you don't really see a lot of that. I think with, you know, I've, I've interviewed other guys on this podcast and we've talked to other people and they're not necessarily, uh, I'm not saying that they aren't going to root for their country, but they're almost it's like they're so competitive where and they think they're putting all this into it and if they're not called it's like a dead thing for them um i thought that was really cool and maybe it's a testament to canadian culture and or just you as a person that you're able to say look i i think i deserve to be there i would love to be there i think i had a lot of value however if i'm not called i'm still going to be their biggest fan so i don't know i thought that was really cool and, and if you want to talk on that um please do yeah, I mean, all you all you can do is control the controllables, basically. Like, so all I can do is try to be the best player I can. And I think at the end of the day, like Herdman is is gonna, he's he's not he doesn't have an agenda. Like, he wants to win the World Cup. So whoever he brings, like, I hope that I'm in that squad. But if I'm not, I I don't think it's because he slighted me. Like, I think it's because he believes the other guys are better. There's there's a lot of good players out there, you know. So if I'm not there, all I can do is be be happy for the guys that are there, you know, and support the team. Like I, I really want Canada to do well at this World Cup. It's it's an amazing opportunity for the country. So whether I'm there or not, like I'm I'm so excited for this moment for Canadian soccer. And and I'm glad that I've even just been a part of this journey. You know, like looking all the way back, I feel like I'm just playing with house money kind of at this point. Like every everything feels like a bonus to me. So um, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful. 
Well, I think that's really cool. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of our region. I, I'm a fan of, uh, you know, I'm rooting for the U S but I'm also rooting for, for the Canadians and, um, I'll, I'm rooting for the Mexicans and, and, you know, people that I know guys around the league that are playing in other countries, I'm rooting for them too, is, you know, we could talk a different story when they're playing the U S but, um, I, I'm pulling for you guys. Let's, let's talk a little bit uh, about the off the field stuff as we wind down. Um, we did talk about education here. Um, I thought it was really cool. I, I'm, I can say this with confidence that you are the only person that has been featured on this podcast who has an engineering degree and a master's degree in finance. And just typing that to get ready for this was uh, it presented some problems for me. So that that's a that's a compliment to you. Uh, you were able to do this um, while still playing through uh, in the league using the continuing education programs offered to the players. Um, I, I thought that was uh, something to be really proud of. Do you feel like y- your parents are proud of that? And I know they're proud of you as a player, but it's got to be a, a big thing for them that you've had such success in your educational career as well. Yeah, my parents are definitely super proud of that. Uh, even when I when I told them I was like leaving school because I left like uh, the school of mines early. When I told them I was going to do that, they were upset. You know, they were like, all right, you're just, you're cut off. Like what, if you make it, you make it. But they were, they were not very happy with me. Luckily it turned out well. And then even um, my father-in-law, you know, when I, when I asked him if I could like marry his daughter, he was like, you know, yeah, I think you're a great guy, but you, you have to get an education. Like you need to make sure you finish your degree and stuff. So, you know, I think he's, he's hopefully proud of me too. That, and, but I think just having like those kind of role models in your life to, to hold you accountable has been, has been really good for me. And I think I've been able to make them proud. Yeah, no, I, I, I think they should be proud. That's really impressive. I'm, I'm proud of you. If no one else, is. I'll be your, I'll be your, your fan. Um, you know, with all that knowledge running through your head, you've uh, recently and, and, you know, in the past you've, you've done some things, but recently you're getting a lot of, a lot of love for some of the stuff that you're doing, trying to put it to good use. Um, for those that have followed you, they know you, you've been an active real estate investor for a long time. I think you and Hollingshead, or there's a couple guys that you, you, you have, uh, you know, that are into it as well. We talked about that before. There's, there's guys now getting more involved in, uh, in different financial things that I think are good for their long-term success. But for you, you look at real estate, not only as an investment, but you've started to focus on it as a tool. Can you talk to people that are listening about uh, affordable housing as an issue that you've really become passionate about? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Like I initially just got interested in real estate as an investment, but now I see it as kind of a tool to improve society. So I see like, in my opinion, there's so many important issues to work on in the world. And, you know, I'm interested, I was interested in a lot of them, like financial education, diversity, education in general, like health, the climate, all this stuff. And when I started to think about it, housing is really at the bottom of it in so many different ways. So like getting a person into an affordable house and affordable housing can mean for for people who are low income, but people like that are middle-class need affordable housing for themselves too. So affordable housing is for everyone. Um, So getting people into an affordable, safe house is just really sets the backbone for the rest of their life to be good. And then, you know, I started taking that even further and looking into the way like we design our neighborhoods and our cities. Um, And I started learning about the benefits of like walkable communities and urbanism and it just, it's so powerful, honestly. Uh, there's, there's just the list of benefits goes so deep, like with the living in walkable communities are better for people's health. It's better for the climate. 
it's better for people financially. Like it, there's just so many different ways in which it's better. And I'm, I'm trying to like spread the word because I feel like this is the solution, you know, like, and it makes people happy. Like there's, it's just so interesting. I'm really passionate about it. So my Twitter feed is only that. If you don't want to hear about that, you shouldn't follow me on Twitter because that, <laughs> that's all I talk about. I can't get enough of it. So I, well, I love it. well, no, it's, it's creating some headlines and, and I know you've done, uh, you know, the, the news and different uh, outlets are really picking it up. Talk a little bit about um, the thing I like is, you know, we're going to talk about Yimby here and how you got involved with Yimby, but um, it's more about you using your voice. And, and there's a lot of people that, um, you know, I don't want to steal your thunder, but there's a lot of people that, that have really good causes and they're trying to raise awareness to different things. And you are using your, your voice and, and you have a little bit more of a voice than maybe the average guy. Um, and, and that's, what's really cool about it, but just talk a little bit, you know, shed some light on the, on Yimby and, and what you're doing there. Yeah. I mean, I think just like in general athletes, of course, we're, we're very interested in our sport, but every single athlete is also interested in other stuff, but for whatever reason, a lot of people just don't talk about it much publicly. And I just decided, you know what, like, I want to just tell the world what I'm interested in. Like, I think I have some interesting thoughts to share. So I started sharing it. Um, and the feedback has been really good you know, I, I first kind of started talking a lot about financial education now switching to like Yimby urbanism stuff. And the Yimby means yes in my backyard. So just, we kind of advocate for like building more housing because housing is unaffordable. Basically it's just supply and demand the way that I'm looking at it. Like it's unaffordable because we don't have enough housing in good areas. So I'm really advocating to build more housing but specifically more housing in like the best parts of town which usually they're blocking that from happening. So I'm just kind of trying to be out here advocating for that because I think if people can get affordable housing in good locations, it can, it can be really change society for the better. Yeah. No, when I looked into it, there's stuff I learned, you know, just about, like you said, the, the, the deed restrictions are, you know, you can only build a single one story house or um, no duplexes, no multiple, uh, multiple housing in the same area row yeah, houses it's illegal things. like most people don't know that but it's yeah. illegal in most neighborhoods even in like so say orlando like there's suburbs around orlando but in orlando itself the big city it's illegal in most of the city to build anything but a single family house like it doesn't that kind of just doesn't make sense and it really restricts the supply of housing in the best areas so what you have is to get an affordable house people need to go 45 minutes outside of the city you have to spend all your time commuting. You have to spend a ton of money commuting. You, you lose so much. So instead, like, why not just put, it, it destroys the environment because you have to keep expanding the city further and further into like the Florida wetlands. Like it's bad for the environment. More driving is bad for the environment. So let, let's just put people where we already are. Like put more people in the city where there's uh, access to jobs, there's access to public transportation, there's access to like services like the police and schools, all that stuff. Yeah, well, clearly you're passionate about it. Um, you know, you did mention Twitter. Tesho is on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. Follow him uh, if you want to see posts about, you know, things that he's doing on the field, his family. Um, he's obviously going to promote the things that he's passionate about, which I think is a positive. Um, so I, I would encourage you to, to follow him on there. Uh, Tesho, I want to thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast today and telling your story. It's a uh, it's a really fascinating story. I think it's uh, your views on things align a lot with um, kind of how I see the world in terms of uh, not only improving it, but, you know, 
self-introspection and, and, and trying to uh, visualize good things. So I hope you keep doing that. Hopefully uh, you're able to uh, make the cut for the, for the world cup, but I know right now you're focused on a playoff run. I wish you luck in that. And uh, that's Tesho Akindeli, everybody. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's great. And I think what you're doing, letting the players tell their stories in their own words is, is super powerful. Uh, we don't get a lot of opportunity to kind of deep dive into our own stories. So I appreciate you giving us that opportunity. Well, it's easy. It's easy when they're great stories like yours. So I, I appreciate your time today. I know our, our listeners do too. Thanks, Bobby. Thank you for listening to play by players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a production of the MLSPA. Learn more at mlsplayers.org.